Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson. My guest today is a high achiever in the motorcycle world. She's accumulated 15 Queensland titles between motocross and enduro. Alongside those victories, she's also competed in Australian four days, travelled to America to race motocross, and has been a motorcycle industry professional for over 20 years now. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Mara Gray. Hi. Hi. We've just we've just had like an hour chat before we even started. We have. We got a little bit excited. Yeah, it's been a while since we've caught up. It has been. Who's Tamara Gray? Good question. Um, I guess Tamara Gray is a is a girl that found wheels or two wheels at a very young age and explored that pretty extensively throughout the first few decades of her life and uh, has had a lot of good things come from that. I guess. You've basically um, obviously raced motorcycles, but you've put a career into it to this point as well, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Um, but obviously grew up racing motocross. It started when I was quite young, at seven. Yeah. Did some off-road as I got a little bit later in the career. Um, when I left year 12, I went to work you know, at my local bike shop when I was racing for it. What time. was your local bike shop at that time? Springwood Suzuki. Was it really? Yeah. So you're local down this area? Um, no, actually, <laughs> I'm not. No, I grew up um, out near towards um, Tivoli Raceway at Corona Downs. Okay, yep. But last couple of years of high school, I was um, raced motocross, obviously, and was pretty fortunate to pick up some help from Suzuki Australia at the time. Right. As a, at that point, end of my junior career, start of my senior career. So I was mm-hmm. on a little RM125. I was riding for, for Tony at Springwood Suzuki. And I finished year 12 yep. and um, pretty much started working there the week after. So, and I've worked in the industry ever since, retail and wholesale, all the way up until now. And that's now 21 years. Yeah, 21 years. Mm. So Springwood Suzuki was the first point, It was eh? the first, yep. Gave yep. me the start, taught me parts, taught me accessories and, and went from there. I was there for a few years and then moved on to the next. So your junior club, wheel standards? Uh, Initially, yes, until it closed. Rodney would have been? Racing there when I was a kid, yes. So you probably worked together at the time too? Yes. Yes. (laughs) 100%, yes. It's a very small community amongst people, you know? Uh, Yes, it is, yes. So tell me this, there's there's a wheel standards team photo floating around. What was of the green hair and the green... What's going on there? Were you just a mad Kawasaki fan for a bit or what? Yes, actually. Yeah. Oh, it was a bit of a phase. Like my sister and um, some other friends we were racing with at the time, like, we had, I don't know, just rebellious. Yeah. Early high school, dye your hair, all fun colours. And, yeah, I was I was riding Kawasaki's at that point in my life and at the time they happened to be purple as well <laughs> um, and green. So why would you not dye your hair purple and green? If you've got long blonde hair, it's pretty easy to to dye. But, yeah, one of those club photos has has got proper green hair in it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got the um, late 90s vibe. vibe. (laughs) (laughs) You could fit straight into a... um, Late 90s was like best time for moto. No joke. It was the best. We had the best gear. Best fashion. Bikes came with graphics. Yeah, the bikes. standard, like awesome graphics standard. Well, you didn't need to have graphic companies. Nope. Because the white graphics were... Had, like, all sorts of stuff all over it. Yeah, they like were... pink on the seat and stuff. Have you... I know um, a few years ago when we were riding, you were riding a KX from 
fatty rat? I was. Do you have one? Or <clears throat> is that someone you know or what? Uh, no, that was mine. So when I was, I had a brand new 94 KX60. Awesome. Yeah, that was my second new KX60. And I was around around that age, must have been like a year or so later. I also ended up with a new 94KX80. It must have been like a run out. Right. Um, and by the time I kind of got to old enough to ride a 125, I think I had like a secondhand 96 or something. So um, when I got a little bit involved with doing the VMX at Badadabar, yep. when that place was around, because that track was fantastic, um, I thought, oh, I need to get myself a 94KX125. So now I found one of those. I actually found a few yeah. and I needed it to, like, build one half-decent, rideable, good one. Because that was a good one. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, and I, I honestly just enjoyed riding it at Badadaba. So when that shut, I wasn't, you know, overly yeah. keen to keep on going. It's actually sold all of it on to someone else who was into those 94KX125, my entire kit. Yep. Um, yeah, and got out of it. But I had it for a bit. I enjoyed it. It was a challenge, though. Every time I rode it, something would break on it. And um, I distinctly remember, um, <laughs> distinctly remember when I was riding these KXs at this time at, like, 15 years old, going, yep. this bike is a beast. It is humongous and it is so fast. Like I remember racing at Tivoli and at Wheel Sanders and at Reedy Creek back in the day going, this thing is a beast. When I started to ride that thing at Badadabar, I was like, this is one of the slowest bikes. <laughs> How far we've come, mate. <laughs> and I had like at the same time like KTM 125s or 150s and yep. type of stuff at the time and I was like... Things have come away. Yeah. Like, away. Because that was scary in the 90s. Yeah, they didn't stop well, they didn't really handle nice. No. Um, yeah, not definitely not the powerhouses that some of the late model 125s are now. You know how you said you got the 94 KX60? Mm. What did you have before that? I had a 92 KX60. <laughs> what did you, you start on before a KX? Or is that your first... Did you start it on Peewee or what? No, I started on a QR50. QR? Yeah. Ooh, I was a trendsetter. three yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, and I got a, I don't even know what year KX60 it was to start off with for the first one. I had a QR and then I got a little KX60 and then I started to race on a KX60 at wheel standers. Right. Yeah, doing motocross and, and oil track, flat track we at, had back then. At Tivoli? No. Or at wheel standers then? Because mm. yeah. back then uh, wheel standers was part of the QJMCA and okay. Tivoli was part of the ACU, so it wasn't connected. Oh. I didn't start riding at um, Tivoli until Motorcycling Australia the ACU formed yep. when it was a, an amalgamation of those two things, despite living less than 2Ks from Tivoli. That's crazy. I didn't ride there until I was much older. Do you remember the first time you rode a KX60? I personally do, myself. <laughs> I had a Peewee 50, XR80, and then I got to ride a KX60. It was life-changing from an XR80. I don't think anyone forgets. No, I it's do remember. It's a moment remember. of life, yeah. yeah. It was in the backyard at home, yeah. Um, Scary things. Brought home, yep. clutch, gears. Like I think the power-to-weight ratio for the rider on a KX60 <laughs> is like there can't be another bike that competes with that. Nah. They're insane. Short wheelbase, insane power. Especially coming off a QR50, not even a Peewee50. Like we're talking about... <laughs> 
they're real slow in comparison. Yeah. And I didn't know until a few years later when my younger sister got a Pee Wee 50, I was like, this is way better than the bike that like, I learnt on. But, yep. yeah, steps were KX60 is gnarly. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny how, like, there's certain things, and, and you would have been the same through the years, but certain things you hop on and you remember the day down to a, a date, you know, and... I Just like that one two five story I was telling you about. Exactly right. You yep. remember the feel. You remember everything how mm-hmm. it's, um, how it is. There's a um, remember there used to be a speedway track out the front of Wheel Sanders. Oh, uh, off to the side. Off to the side near, around the water tower or around a tower or something up the front left hand corner. I think it was. Does that ring a bell? Um, front left hand corner. No, that the motocross track used to extend out to there. The speedway track was down the back on the inside of where the oil track was. Was it? In near a tower or something? I'm going back a lot of... Yeah. It was? Um, there was a tower down there. Yeah. I got to ride a Speedway bike there as a 12-year-old. Okay. And that's another one of those days that you sort of think... Yeah, because I started at Wheel Standards in 1990. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it was back when... So on a club day you would do motocross and you would do flat track. Oh, is that right? Yep. yep. And on the inside of the flat track would be like a junior Speedway track. Yeah, so all the kids on solos were riding around, so you could do both. Um, That's cool on a club day. Yeah, so how was motocross then? It was very different to now. Yeah, mm. no, it was um, it was good. I enjoyed it. Like, I just started off doing club days. Um, yep. we really just kind of focused on that back in the day. It was just like all well, the sixties and the peewees were lumped in together, and you just it was like four of us, I think. Wow. Just ride around, have a good time, try it, and survive. It's a special moment, hey? Yeah. I, I still I still remember vividly um, like my very first race and the start of, of it, which was on the oil track, not on the motocross track. I, yeah, I distinctly remember it. it what do you remember about it? burnt into my brain. How nervous I was. Were you nervous? Yeah. I was like seven. Yep. I can still recall it, um, the feeling of the nervousness of like, yep. Oh, I'm about to do a race. Like these are the other kids. Of course, I came last. It's terrible, but um, <laughs> I still still recall it vividly. When you were three, do you, like you probably don't remember, but do you family have said about? Did you want to get on the bike at three? Yeah. I didn't. I, I, I my parents were going to sell it because I was in tears. I was yeah. too scared. No, I don't <laughs> remember learning to ride. So yeah. it's happened before I've got memory. memory yep. To me, it's just always happened. But mum mm-hmm. and dad have said to me, so we came from a background of um, extended families, like aunties, uncles, mum and dad, cousins, older cousins, doing um, like, you know, camping riding, recreational riding, awesome. RTCBs, that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, that all be out riding throughout the day and my sister and I just hanging out in the back of the, at the time, dad's old Donna truck just playing in the tie downs and whatever else because you're too <laughs> little riding your push bike around. Yep. And um, so somewhere along the line I must have said that I had, you know, you know, when do I get to start to ride a motorbike or whatever. And mum and dad had said to me, well, you can't, you cannot ride a motorbike until you take the training wheels off push bike. And I was like, right, training wheels, they need to come off today. We're going down, we're going to learn. Wow. Yep. And then, you know, it took me half an hour or something, figured out how to ride without the training wheels and then mum and dad had to pony up and buy the QR50. So, um, no, there was a, a desire to want to... Straight to away. Wanna, well, yeah, I wanted to. Everyone else got to ride. You know, my cousins were riding, my mum was out riding and 
I don't want to just hang around in the car. Like, that's Playing boring. with the tie downs. <laughs> I don't want to play with the tie downs, <laughs> swinging off things and whatever. Yeah, don't, it gets boring It's funny the things that you remember as a kid. For sure. Like, you know, I don't necessarily remember learning how to ride, but I remember that. Like, that's weird. What about racetrack memories? Like, rolling mm. down a hill. Like, it's just stuff on the sideline. Do you, do you have much fond memories of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, friends from when you were a little kid. Yeah, yep. Um, different tracks that you rode at that, don't exist now, like um, the way that a track used to be, For sure. the way that a venue used to be. Um, yeah, I've got quite a lot of memories actually yep. from my childhood. Trailblazers, was that somewhere around there as well? Like sure I, I came from northern New South Wales, so mm-hmm. we came up and I did the Speedway bike there once. There was a thing at Chandler that they had um, John Tipman put a flat track thing inside the Chandler aerodrome for Speedway yep. bikes. Did you ever go and watch any of the Supercrosses? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Up up around the wall. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was real crazy actually. Trailblazers was a thing. It was nearby to Wheelstand. It's pretty close, wasn't it, in the back area or something. Did you ever ride there? Yes. Yeah, motocross and flat track over there. Right. It was was so weird. It's like coming from uh, a small town to come up here to see two venues from my um, kid mind to be so close. Yeah. So it sort of seemed odd. No, and then Tivoli, not too far away either. Tivoli, not too far away. So, no, it was quite good. We had it okay. Did you ride at Tivoli flat track at all? Yes, but much, much, much later and nowhere near as much. Like I yeah. did the a bit of dirt, like that flat track as a kid at Wheel Standers and we would also go and do like the Kilcoy Ironman because you would oh, do yeah. motocross and dirt track yep. there as well. That still goes, I think. Does it? I think they still have that event, yeah. They still have the dirt track part? I think so. Okay. It's been years since I've obviously done that. But um, So I had done a little bit of dirt track and then yep. once the dirt track and speedway part of wheel stand is shut, yep. the motocross track took over, then that was kind of the end of the, the dirt track part for me. We just ended up doing the motocross part. It's funny when you drive past there now, I, you, <laughs> you look across and think, oh, there's a little bit of memory there. Yeah, a lot of things happened there yeah. and it's particularly for that time before they had developed it where it sat and like you could see, you could still see the tracks sitting still there yeah. in the grass and because all the livestock's been in there and kept the grass low, you could see like the tabletop in the middle. Still look the same. Yeah. Still looks exactly yeah. the same. Like, mm. um, you know, my dad and my mum, like they spent years of their life, um, you know, dad was a track prepper. Dad had an earth moving business. He was right. the one building the track, prepping the track. So you said RTCBs and that sort of thing. So was your dad a racer or just no? no? Just so how did, how did mom, just recreational trail? Yep. Right. It. Well, how did we get into racing? Yeah. How did you get into racing then? If that's the case. Um. So back to extended family. I had um older cousins who yep. uh, had gotten into doing some competitions and racing at Wheel Sanders. Yep. And um. I don't know if it was like, oh, we should get tomorrow to go and do this or I wanted to do it. I don't I don't know, yep. but it was, yeah, again, extended family were into it and I just got into it as a result of that. Were you good at, were you good at the start? No. No? Shocking. Terrible. Lots of work. <laughs> like they would let me, like I said, the, 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 the 60s and the peewees would go out together like, you know, they'd let me cut the track like the peewees did yep. to miss parts of that were a bit hard so that I would at least maybe get two laps in wow. for the entire race. No, I was I was shocking. But I do I do kind of actually remember a 
a point, I must have been a little bit later where I was on a 60 and things started to click yep. in my brain about I should be trying to do this as fast as I can, not just ride around and, you know, off with the fairies. Thinking about the tie downs. Thinking about, think about the tie downs <laughs> in the car or oh, I was like little critters on the ground over there or whatever. Um, and then, you know, once things started to, I guess, click in my head and I got a few more years of riding under my belt, did I start to improve? But I was a very slow learner. I'm guessing, and, and probably more to the conversation we had prior, you must have been always a competitor though. There must have been something there. I would say <clears throat> yes in circumstances, but mm-hmm. um, like I grew up racing with boys, always just boys. Yep. Like my first women's event wasn't until I was 17. So I'd spent really, you know, 10, the first decade just racing with the boys and obviously I was not competitive with that, you know, the best I ever did in 60s was get into B grade and the best I ever did in juniors was, you know, get up into A grade before I went to senior. But like never, you know, hardly ever won anything and, you know, you just, you're just racing for the sake yep. of racing, you enjoy it, it's good fun, you know, you're kind of judging your own results against yourself. The competitive nature of me came out when women's racing came around mm. and I um, was doing well at that. And that's when, you know, I would start to expect to be able to do well as a result from that. And that's when the competitive nature really came out. So when did women's racing come? Was that more so like probably nearly when you just would have turned into a senior? I was already a senior. Pretty so, close though to that sort of timeline, hey? Um, it was 2001 would what, have been. What was it like then? One. We uh, had the first women's race was at Coolum. Mm-hmm. It was a state title. So there were enough girls kind of just starting to ride at that point that they put together um, a yeah, Queensland Women's Motocross Championship at Coolum. was right, oh. Coolum. Yep. Yeah. So and we had, because at that time there were so few ladies motocross races around, it drew um, girls not just from Queensland but everywhere. Like a nas- national sort of deal. Well, kind of because yep. there was nowhere else to um, really race against other women regularly so it ended up being pretty decent race meeting and it went from there so then there had been Queensland Women's Motocross Championship every year since so yep. that was the first year it was 2001. It's crazy to at see Coolum. how far it's come hey yeah Coolum crazy place. Yeah track was very different at Coolum then. Was it? It's like mm, not black like it is now the yeah, sand right. was different that was, was not still long a sand after, track though. Yeah it was yeah. not long after Coolum, Coolum opened it was like a new facility there. Oh is that right? Yep. Yeah, I've only been there in the recent times where it's that sand is just deep and bottomless. Well, yeah. it was just it was different. The sand was different when it first opened. The world's changing. World's changing. So, I, I'm, I'm going to stuff it up. But how many women's titles did you get in the end? Um, no, between motocross and enduro, it ended up being fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, Queensland titles. That's pretty proud achievement, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty happy with it. There's always the missed opportunities that you think about, but yeah, in the end, it, it ended up being quite a few. What were you riding on the turn of the century? Two thousand, you would have been 
we're not going to say each other's age, but you would have been around the same age as myself. So you're on a senior bike, so you would have probably been on a 125. I was on RM125 yeah. and a DRZ400. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm serious. Wow. Well, the Thundercross was on. Oh, awesome. Like, in that era. That's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. So um, there was a 400 class. Yeah. And, you know, at the time you either rode a YZF400, which was, you know, pretty gnarly bike. Yeah. Uh, but because I was riding um, through Suzuki at the yeah. time, I would Dad bought a DRZ 400 and slapped 155 on the side of it and we would race that thing too. I got fourth in like the 400 class at the Thundercross that year. Just, yeah. What wild. a machine though. That's a wild motocross machine. Oh. And it's still the same bike now. It's For sure. You could run the same oil in it from, from then as well. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. So, yeah, two polar opposites, RM125 and a DRZ 400. That would have been the, coming to the tail end of anything that RM would have done, I'm guessing, too. There wouldn't have been much more after 99 on a 125. No, I think that was pretty much finished pretty up. Much that DRZ wasn't electric start either. Killer. That was a nightmare. Where'd the 155 come from? As a junior, I was number 15. Yeah. And when I went to seniors, um, my mum actually worked at MA at that time, or MQ. Oh, really? Yeah. Doing the licensing. Were they out at Tivoli at that time? Yes. Yep. So we didn't live far from there. So Very good. Close to mum. So as I was approaching the time to turn senior, mum was paying pretty close attention to what numbers. Um, I originally wanted 115, but it was... Oh, favouritism. Taken. No. <laughs> so mum was paying attention yep. and keeping an eye out for what was coming up. And um, yeah, so 155 was pretty close to 15. So that was the number that I adopted when I went to senior. Is that right? That's mm -hmm. why. That's why. Because uh, it's interesting. Like, race numbers are such a personal thing for people. Mm. There's always a meaning um, unless you're just branded with one or, you know, like. Yep. But usually there is a significant meaning to it. So nothing else to it than that? Like, nope. Yeah, no. No. And it, like the, the reason I got 15 was that was just the number that was on my licence when it got handed to me in 1990. You're a number 15. Wow. Yeah, there's no, just no stuck reason. With it. Yep. How was junior racing? Going through, like, obviously you would have travelled a fair bit. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> growing up, we did, like, all of the South East Queensland junior racing. Yep. You know, we would do the Australian motocross titles when it was in Queensland. So I did, like, the wheel standards one, the Tivoli one, the one at Biloela as well as a junior. Wow, yep. Um, but we didn't really go anywhere outside of that South East Queensland area yep. for racing. Um yeah, it was pretty busy. It was good fun. I'd, you know, grow up racing with your racetrack friends. So it was good. Your club was such a strong club too. Like yeah, you have a, have a look at the club and have a look at the people that have come through the club over the years. Wow. It's a pretty good history. Well, it's kind of wheel standards was the catchment for Brisbane. If you lived in Brisbane, that was the club. That was your club. Like yep. next closest club was Stanmore um, or Kilcoy or Tivoli. Yeah. So I guess by nature it's got a pretty big catchment area for sure end up at wheel stairs the big loss when it went yeah it had so many like if you if you go back through some of the photos and stuff of the the time and do you know chase overend do you know that name yeah yeah okay chase is one of my best mates and he's he um he has a go at me about my photography work because uh, he thinks he's a professional. He listens, so he thinks he's a professional photographer. <laughs> okay. But he's got a wheel standards portfolio at home from the 90s. And uh, yep. some of it's pretty awesome. And yep. some of the faces, you're like, oh, seriously? That person? The that end person? of year school photo. 
That's cool. Is a cracker. It is. Like it's it's a cool piece in time. I don't think clubs do it now. But I don't reckon. No, it pops up every now and again. People post them on Facebook and get tagged in it, you know, on the 10 yeah. years or whatever that I appear in them. But yep. the end of year school photo, everyone's sitting there with their, you know, oh, names funny. at the bottom. It's cool. And you see the people, like you look at um, obviously McFarlane's. Yep. Yourself. Yep. Tiny, Dan, tiny Dan Reardon Dan down the Reardon, front. You like, know. Yeah, all um, sorts of people. So many different people and you see them, kids, proper kids. It's a different era. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 2000s, how, how did uh, senior racing start for you? Obviously doing uh, the women's stuff, but did you do any other other gear as well at that time? Well, the women's stuff was um, like one race a year. Mm. so It was a national title or it was a na- state title or... In one race, so... Yep, so mm. it's just that. So yep. the rest of the time was just doing the sunny states. Um, again, southeast Queensland as a senior. Yep. So it was just, um, you know, clubman lights lining up against everyone else, doing all that jazz um, and just do the one-off women's race that would pop up. Yep. Uh, the Thundercross was the next one that actually put a women's class in. So, so what was Thundercross? Thundercross was an excellent series. This cool. is, if this was still around, I'd have a crack at this one because it was great. So originally it was all about four strokes. Yep. And this was when everyone was obviously riding two strokes. So at the Thundercross people would ride XRs and DRZs and basically farm bikes of the era. Yeah. <clears throat> but it kind of morphed into the natural terrain motocross series. So, you know, aside from racing at Mundubra, all of the rest of the series was on, or maybe Conondale, the rest of the series was just farmer's paddock, marked out, slashed out, stark gates pinned down. Yeah. And away you go. That was the day's worth of racing. That's the best. It's the, the best series ever. I know... Um they're doing like the M Cross again in New South Wales. Yeah, like that. That's the closest possible thing yeah. we've got now, I think. Hey. Yeah, yeah. So that series um, put in a, a ladies' class. We were staggered start with the um, vintage bikes. Actually, I remember that pretty vividly. Mm. But was it was. Was that good? <laughs> it had its interesting moments. <laughs> you know, it's interesting now. Like same same deal. Like growing up through the areas, you look at the vintage scene now. The vintage bikes are. It's pretty potent bikes now. They're built so well. Yeah, but like vintage, the vintage bikes in the early 2000s were like what's now the Evolution class, which is pretty old stuff. Vintage yep. now is pre-95. Like, yeah, which is still a modern bike. Pretty modern. Yeah, that's what you line up. You're like, mm, this in the, in the right hands, this is still pretty capable. Exactly, yep. You know? Still really good bikes. What were you riding then? Did you did you stay in the Suzuki's for long? Because at some point you went to Yemi. I did in two thousand and two. Um, so this is around when obviously two fifty Fs started to come oh, in. Oh yeah, the first ones. Yep. Yeah. So <clears throat> I ended up buying a Wiser two fifty F in yep. two thousand and two. Was that a good step? When I could start it, it was <laughs> a good early, step. Those early things. Were just torture. Hey? Decompression lever on the handlebars, hot start button, like you on the carburetor. Anything. If I crashed it, it was basically over during a race. It was just because I was a bit short and um, it was just hard work to start it if it fell over. So coming from the RM, it would have been easy. Coming from the DRZ, it was easy. Or even the DRZ. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were. I remember like riding a 426 and that at the time. Mm. It was just, if you didn't get it in the first time, 
my cousin had a 426 and it was like, this is a weapon. Uh, my calves are still strong from trying to start them. <laughs> They're a torture. I remember going out now, black duck and that. Yep. Back in the day and you just see people just like just kicking away. And, and just give up and go. Just give up. <laughs> just give up. Just leave it. So too hard. Too, too hard. How long did you stay on the 250F for? That would have been, that would have been quite a long time after that. <clears throat> been through the era. Up until I got a um, YZ125 to start doing some enduro racing in 2011. Holy crap. Yeah, so I had a, a 250F the entire time and it was a YZF from yep. that point on. When m- my first memory of yourself is a City Yamaha. Yep. Mm-hmm. Pink van tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> right? We, we, um, you must you rode for them or yes. that was the original there, relationship? Rode there, rode there yep. everything? Yep. What were, you, what were you doing there? Like obviously different motocross series. Um, yeah, what sort of stuff then? Um, so that was 2000s through to like 2010-ish yep. period. So we had a bit more women's racing kicking off then, yep. a few more interstate rounds, and Australian Motocross Championship for Women had started by that point. So I was kind of working towards that along with, you know, doing still doing, you know, the normal classes at the Sunny State because it wasn't a women's round at that, et cetera. Like a lot of racing at that point. Like um, state and interstate stuff. Was it was it hard to balance the time at that of that era? Like work, trying to live a life, everything. What was it like then? Um, that was kind of the era of when you worked in a bike shop. You were six days a week too. So For sure. Monday to Friday and Saturday. And but Sunday was the expectation day. Sa- yeah, yep. heck yeah. The midweek RDO was not a thing. So, you know, you're working six days a week and yep. you are packing up Saturday afternoon and you are going to go race. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't um, really able to do much riding during the week unless, you know, I'd sort of start to take some days off here or there out of my annual leave if I had something bigger coming up. Um, but they were really good to me too. Like I took three months off in 2005 and went to the US and raced there for a bit and they just kept my bike there in the shop and I came back, came back to work. Really? So, yep. Mm-hmm. That was Marty and Ben. Yeah. Wasn't it? Marty yep. Ransom and Ben Ransom. Yeah, they were there while I was there. Um, what'd you do in the US? Obviously racing, but what'd you do? Obviously racing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did a heap of riding actually and I rode a Honda while I was there, so I was not always on the Yamaha. Mm. Yeah, um, I was on a CRF over there. I did a f- um, the first few rounds of the Women's Motocross Championships while I was there, which at that time coincided with the AMA Outdoors. Yep. So I did um, the first two rounds, which was at that time Glen Helen was like a prequel to the Outdoors, yeah, which right. was round one for the women yep. and then Hangtown. Awesome. Yeah, so I did the first couple of rounds and um, just spent most time in Southern California riding and trying to get better. I improved a lot did in you go that by time yourself? period. Yeah, basically. That's awesome. Yeah. So where did you base yourself? Um, uh, initially in Riverside and then moved out to Bakersfield, a little bit in oh, Victorville geez. as well. Yeah. yeah. No, I had um, at the time uh, a guy that had helped me out earlier in my sort of racing career with Suzuki. He was now living over there doing some right. race team stuff. Yeah. So he was obviously the big motivator for me to get there and the support for me to get there and to do it. So, yeah, without him and 
his efforts with that, it would never have come about, not not organically. How was it in the States in 2005? Oh, humongous compared to here. Yeah. Like, was, yeah. It a, was it an eye-opener or was it more just... Big eye-opener. It Tracks was? Tracks are huge, like, yeah. not like what we had here. The depth of competition was massive, not how like you, what we had here. How was your fitness? Good. Good? Yeah. Yep. Was I happy with my results or how I rode? No, but... Why? Uh, expectation. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Your own expectation? Yeah, my own expectation. Did you have any family go see you in the three months? Uh, no. No? Mm-mm. And at that time we had no FaceTimes, no nope. no live results. Like nope. no one would know nothing about it, eh? <laughs> nope. <laughs> like it's only a short time. Yeah, 2005 like just feels email. like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> the newsletter in ADB. International phone calls. Yeah. Different yeah. time, eh? Yeah. Really different time. How was the Honda? Um, very foreign. It was an odd bike for me to get used to. Yeah. I remember struggling with it. Really? Um, yeah. To well, adapt to it and then throw in... Oh, Throwing two were. crazy tracks, but particularly Glen Helen. That one yeah. was gnarly for that bike. Really? Mm. Mm-hmm. What, what was what was bad about it? Well, not bad, but what was different compared to YZ at the time? Do you remember? I was just used to the way that my YZ was set up, suspension wise and yep. handling wise, and um, just also the the variance in the track was what made it challenging too. Like so wide and fast and rough and undulating. Yeah, Glen Helen is, yeah. Glen Helen, like mm-hmm. it's... Tiring too. Like. Yeah. Anyone that's been there, like, or anyone that's listened that hasn't been there, it's so, it's massive, hey. Like that hill, mm. it's actually a legitimate yeah, hill climb like to get changing up. Yeah, it's like changing down gears to yeah, make it up. You're like, conks, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm going to get up this time. <laughs> no, it's like an enduro. You know, you get to it, it's like getting to a hill at Transmodo. You yeah. Know? You're like, this is It is exactly like that or like at different times when the Matterhorn and Echo Valley's been from like an awkward start at the bottom yep. and you're not sure if you're going to make, make it. it. You know? Am I going to make it or am I going to have another go it's at like this? sit back and just shifting down gears. So Cool place though. Yeah, Exciting. unreal. Did you watch any racing over there at that time? Did you get to go to any other stuff? Uh, just the Vegas Supercross before Glen Helen because it was like the weekend before or something. Ah. Hmm. 05. Mm-hmm. Good era. Real good era. Chad yeah. Reed won that night. Did he? Yep. And the title. You've been um, – fortunate is not the right word because you worked your ass off to get to it, but you've travelled around the world to see a lot of motorsport events as well. Oh, recently, yeah, yeah. In, in the last few years. Yeah, I've made it a bit of like the – You've done a few donations. Yeah, I've You've done... been to the Supercross over there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Been good. Unreal. Like – um kind of used the – what kicked that off was a cancelled four-day. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. What kicked that off was a cancelled four-day. I can't even remember which four-day now was cancelled, but we're all geared up. I had, you know, all the money put aside for it. Yep. Ready to go. Annual leave in the bank. Ready to go. Got cancelled. And a um, really good friend of mine was going to England to watch the Madeley Basin Motocross of Nations. Yep. Oh, that's right. We're standing at Coolum watching their MX Nationals. And mm-hmm. thing pops up from my phone, four days cancelled. I turn to my friend, Ash, and I'm like, four days cancelled. And he's like, oh, you should come to England now. Because he was planning on going to go and watch wow. Motocross of Nations. And I was like, oh, no, I can't. And I was like, oh, actually, there's not really any reason why I can't not go and do that. So anyway, lo and behold, we go all the way to the, to the UK. We watch... Um, Motocross of Nations that year, and that was when Hunter um, 
went was riding the RMZ 250 and he awesome. did so good and it was it was fantastic. And just the the um, the experience, the the vibe in the crowd, you know, the travelling aspect. This is There's a, nothing like it, eh? Oh, nothing like it. And then so we got a bit hooked and then we went to Redbud the next year and then we went to Aston the year after and then COVID wrecked everything. Yeah, then the world got <laughs> we big again. We were to go to France and it didn't happen. Uh, how was Mantley Basin? Oh, it was awesome. It's a good spectator place, isn't it? Fabulous because the track sits inside of a bit it's of a natural of... valley so yeah. you've got perfect viewing, you know, most of the whole way around. Weather was appalling. It was proper English weather. What do you expect? It's yep. raining and just pea soup, fog, wet, mud everywhere. You know, cars <laughs> get bogged everywhere but, like, nothing beats the enthusiasm of the fans in, in Europe for motocross. It's insane. Because then you go to Redbud. And you've got like a different sort of enthusiasm, hey? I feel it's a bit tamer. Really? <laughs> yeah, people think Redbud's wild. Like comparatively, yep. like that one at Madley Basin was nuts. Um, and then when we went to Redbud next year, yeah, it's got its own flavour. But it's different. I don't know, Europeans are just wild. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to go to what you got to do it. It's cool. Especially it's now the, everything seems so distant. Currently, yeah. you know, it seems almost impossible to think that you'll never go be to able one of those. Be able to do that ever again. And then Assen, that was the wet, yeah, it was terribly wet, wet one. Yeah. How was that though? Three from three, because Redbud was wet too. Yeah, it was. Um, every every year that we went was just like cars bogged, raining, terrible weather. Um, Assen was interesting. The stadium effect kind of lost lost some feel amongst the crowd. You know, seated grandstand because it ran up along the straight. Along the straight grandstand of the yeah. MotoGP track. Or and you couldn't track. see all the track. Like literally yeah, where right. we were seated was like we could see, um, you know, the finish line and the part there and then we were yep. lying on the big screen. So um, lost a bit from the vibe because of that. But still, you know, fantastic. Watch Jeffrey Hurlings in his home country yep. destroy a sand track. It's still one of the coolest things I've ever seen. When you see it in person, what's it like? Like, is he just... Your brain can't fathom how they do that. Especially as a rider. Yeah, you like can't... Like, you ride motocross. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to make it around the track. <laughs> like, seriously looking at it and then the way that they, you know, he's, all of them, um, still able to do the jumps that they do and then, yep. you know, Dean Ferris is on the track and Dean's doing a, a cracking job. Yeah. And, like, you know, you're so proud to watch him, um, you know, and Hunter and all the rest of the guys out there doing it and... Because who we have there that year, that Cole Webster... Dean um, Ferris and Regan Duffy. And Regan Duffy, yeah, we did. That's and they a, all did awesome. Awesome team. Yeah. But that's, a, that's Such a, challenging conditions. And, like, to watch, you know, anyone out there at home is is fantastic. And, like, Dean Ferris comes from, what did he do, three three straight in a row without being beaten in Australia? Yeah. I'm pretty sure so. it was. Mm-hmm. To see someone of that calibre, like, and then you see, like, Jeffrey Hurlings and he's, peak of he, where he's at and stuff. At that time he was You're just like, like wow, it. like this is, it's pretty cool to see that and then multiplied by everyone else that's there. Yeah. That would be. Like, like the best of the best from everywhere. It's and like it's, an MVPs, you know. It everyone. is. Like and to watch the racing is incredible. What was uh, what was Redbud like? Like obviously just take away the semi-atmosphere. What mm-hmm. was it like there? Oh, when I say semi-atmosphere, it's still, still cool. Good. Like it's still good. It's yep. still cool. Um 
yeah, again, higher level racing is fantastic. Travis Pastrana did the backflip for Puerto Rico. If you remember on the side lap, that was pretty wild. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was that was insane. Um, yeah, riding again was fantastic. Yep. Yeah. You, while you're over there, you got to, through work at the time as well, you've done some stuff with Fox. Yeah, it was a separate trip actually was to it? that one. Yeah. Uh, okay. You've been to Fox HQ? Yes, I have. Tell me about that. Uh, that's pretty cool. Like obviously um, um, for the company I work for, Monza Imports at the time, we were the distributors for Fox and we yep. would um, do a trip to, to Fox HQ with with some dealers every year and I was fortunate enough to go on one of the years and go, go to Fox HQ and check the joint out and see the design aspect of, of gear, creation. Um, was it interesting? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we also went to Oakley HQ, HQ which is also really cool too. It's a cool, um, cool like I've seen the front front end of it. You've probably seen the other part for mm. the work, but as as a as a facility, it's pretty awesome. Eh? The Oakley one, yeah, yeah, it's epic. Yeah, they just... have a, a track for a tank. Really? They have a tank out the front, and there's like a track where they drive a tank around. America. Yeah, America. <laughs> <laughs> drive a tank around. That whole... No, they've got like you know really cool flow mountain bike. Tracks in their property around Oakley HQ, like you see the manufacturing stuff, their history, like they've got a bit of a museum. Because they still manufacture it there, don't they? Yeah, some stuff's still some there. Some stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. It's pretty so, pretty awesome to see. Yeah, so that was a thoroughly really cool thing to see. How do you fit in with America? Are you, do you enjoy being over there? Uh, if I, well, put it like this, if I chose to spend time in Europe or the US, I would probably choose Europe over the US. Yep. I've been to the US a few times now. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I think I probably would prefer Australia above all else. But Yeah, Australia's an awesome place. Australia's great. We've got good food and good weather and Yeah, good we're pretty lucky. Side. We're very lucky. Yeah, mm. it gets, take, it gets taken, um, taken a bit for granted sometimes. Yeah, I think the more you travel. How how have you dealt with injuries? I've had some crackers. You've done you've done your share. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few. Um, at the time, <clears throat> dealt with them well. It's not until I've gotten older have I had, um, I guess, niggles or complications from them, and I've had to maybe pay more attention to them in the last few years than I had throughout my racing career. That's for yep. sure. But they've had their challenges, 100% have. So what have you done? You've had a shoulder rico, knee rico? Yeah, shoulder shoulder rico, knee rico, you know, broken bones. But um, the big one was when I broke my back. That one was really How'd ordinary. How did you do that? Um, I was practising for uh, Australian motocross titles at the time. I had was midweek riding at just like a, a private stadium motocross track that I'd not been to before. Yep. And... You know, that age-old thing where, like, you probably shouldn't have rode that day yeah. and you just, in hindsight, know that you shouldn't have rode that day. I was just not really paying attention. Second lap on this track that I was just doing a sight lap on, what I thought was a tabletop was actually a double. And when I popped off the top of it, I landed on, like, the up face of the down ramp yeah. at a bit of a distance and... I like, you know, collapsed into the bike, my seat, my bottom hit the seat, but with enough force that it burst the one of the vertebrae on my back. Yeah. And, um, you know, I fell off to the side and I pr- 
instantly, instantly knew, aside from being really winded, um, that I had done something to my back because I couldn't feel my legs anymore. Like there was nothing for a bit um, and then, you know, sort of we're in the middle of nowhere. For only other friend is there riding at the time. I'm like, you, you need to get the ambulance. I'm not going to be able to get up. It took ages for the ambulance to get there, to come from Toowoomba. And um, so I end up with this, you know, horrendous nerve pain starting to feed back through my legs. It was horrific. Long story short, I get driven to Toowoomba. They're like, yeah, you've done some serious damage there. We need to airlift you to the PA. You need to have an operation. Wow. So I was airlifted to Brisbane and had surgery that night, had a bone graft taken from my hip to reconstruct the vertebra in my back that I'd obliterated. I was lucky that when it had burst, it had um, mostly burst away from the spinal cord. So they didn't have to, wasn't too bad there, but I ended up with um, a bunch of rods and pins in my back and a, and a disc removed. And so I got two vertebra fused together. So what had happened there was like all of the nerves that run out of your spinal column that for me because it was L1 that I had the issue with yep. so it affects my legs and um, it just had nerve damage for the control function for my legs basically. So it took me a bit to walk again because I didn't have that and I had um, a lot of issue with nerve pain after that. Um, wow. It went for like years at a bad level and I still have problems with it now, like um, overly sensitive to temperature, like I can't walk around on a cold floor. Um, like cold to me is, is a pain feeling. It's not a, it's not a temperature yep. feeling and like the, you know, my legs never came back as strong or as explosive or as powerful. I've always got to work at that. Um, yeah, and then 12 months later because I was so young to have a, um, a spinal fusion done of that size. So what sort of age was this? 2006, I was 23. Damn. So just after the States? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, actually just just after that. So you would have come home being somewhat on top of the world, feeling pretty good about America. Yeah, so I raced in the US, came home, um, got selected for like our um, elite rider training camp at the AIS. Yep. I remember doing that at the end of 2005 and... (laughs) (laughs) Um, not far into 2006, that happened. And it, like, yeah, that kind of, that sucked. Because then I had all that scaffolding in my back for the next year, knowing that I had to have it all taken out at the 12-month mark. So I had to go back in for another operation and take it all back out. Yeah. So have you got any scaffolding in there still? No. no. It's all out? Fortunately. yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't realise at the time, I thought, oh, I feel really good. This is great. And then when I had it taken out, I was like, oh, no, I'm actually got way more mobility again now. Because they'd fused it over three vertebrae. So when they took it out, I at least yeah. got the movement back in one disc. The yeah. other one was, was still fused. That's, when you're talking, like, you know, you're saying, oh, I broke a bone just before you sort of shrugged the bones off. But when you're talking spinal stuff, uh, it it's was so It was drawn out too because, like, um, four weeks after I did that, I ended up with appendicitis. So then I had to have my appendix taken out because the medication was on. Yep. Ended up addicted to morphine-based painkillers. You did to like wean off of that. And it was just 
that was a crap time. I'm not going to say how'd you get addicted because a lot of people get addicted to it. But you don't know until you are. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just um, for me it was part of the prescription. Like you know, you take X in the morning, X in the afternoon. This is what you need to keep moving. You need to keep moving. You can't just. This lay is around. your instruction manual. This yep, is what you this take. This is your post yep. post operation care. And uh-huh. I just ended up really sick one day um, and I ended up having to go back to hospital and this was after I'd had my appendix out. And by this point I'm like, what else is going wrong with me? It's a pretty bad run. Yeah, I was not in the best spot. I'm <laughs> back in hospital and um, I'm trying to describe, you know, I feel really sick, like I'm sweating, I don't know what's going on. And they're like, oh, you know, if you had your, your pain medication today? I'm like, no, I haven't. They give me a hit of morphine. I'm like, click of the fingers, I am... Good to go. <laughs> it's a marathon. I am good to go. And it occurred to me right then that I had become um, dependent on the painkillers I was on. So I had to go and see my GP and I was like, we need to come off this stuff. Yeah. Like, wean me off now. I don't care if I have some pain from this. I can't keep taking this because I can clearly see I'm addicted to morphine painkillers. Wow. So, so I understand how it happens because I could have never fathered easily. How does that happen? Yep. You just your body becomes used to it. When you don't give it to it, it's like you know, could have scratched my skin off. It's ridiculous. It doesn't wow. happen to me, but it does. It can happen to anyone. It can you know, happen to anybody. And so yeah. ever since it taught me a lesson, I'm real cautious with painkillers and that type of stuff. Since millions of people around the world are addicted to it, you can see so easily how it happens. Eh? Yep. <clears throat> you can't, I think, until you have experience with it and then you just, yeah, your eyes are opened up. So, like, by, by no means was it bad. It was just a, a moment where I noticed and it was brought to my attention that it had happened and I was heading down that path and I needed to stop it. For sure. You obviously couldn't race at that time. You must have been off for two years or did you still race with it? Or Young and dumb. Yeah. So that injury happened partway into the year and I'd mm-hmm. already started, I don't even remember, whatever series or whatever I'm getting into at this point. Yep. So obviously missed X amount of months yep. when the injury first happened. Um, and however the calendar must have worked out or or points leads that I must have had or whatever, I actually ended up finishing a couple of races at the end of that season with all of that crap in my back still just so that I could win a series. Like, And in hindsight, that's really silly when I was advised not to do it at the time. You know, had I have done something similar again, it would have been catastrophic. Yep. But no, I actually did ride and I did race with that stuff in my back. Mm. Oh, that... Did it hurt or just just got through it? No, it didn't hurt. Like once once it was stabilised and the initial operation part was over, the back was, was good and yep. I've not really had too many back problems since. It's more the carry-on with my legs that stayed with me. From that part. From that part yep. on, yeah. How's, how's the shoulders and the knees go? Good if I look after them. Yeah. Good if muscle, I look muscle, after them. Trying to build muscle around them. And just to stay mobility strong, strong yeah. um, active and healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm 38 now. So if I have a bit of a lax in um, caring for myself, those types of niggles come back and they come back in a vengeance. 
it's it's weird, isn't it? Like you, the default to you'd think would be just to to re- relax, rest. You, your body's going to be better if you rest or relax. I've found it's the almost it's the, the opposite. opposite for me. Yeah, the more to you do extent. something, um, the more you're out and moving and stuff. It sort of seems like it lubricates your bones. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. I'm like you can probably get away with that when you're in your 20s, you're earlier, you know. Yeah. You can rest your way out of a situation that yep. the body recovers. But the older that you get, the more attention you need to pay to looking after yourself. Definitely. 100%. Keep, keep mobile. Yep. I've got a lot of years left I'd really like to live yet, so I need to look after this. My One of, one of my friends that I do uh, some enduro stuff with, mm. he's got a few back issues and just life like everyone sort of had and he um he's like oh, i don't know if i should ride this weekend it's happened a few times now my back's just broken and he comes out and rides and then for the next few days he's better because the weekend he's moving moving yeah heat's gone through it everything obviously expands or whatever yeah once you go back into normal life where you're sitting behind a computer or whatever it is that's a killer it's a killer yeah you know sitting here doing a podcast or any of that sort of stuff it's a killer that's the killer when did the off-road stuff start for you? Um, like in 2000 uh, 2011. 11. And it started because Queensland got the Australian Ford Enduro in Mackay. At Gum Valley? At Gum Valley, oh. yeah. Um, I had not really done Enduro prior to that and it had been a long time since Queensland had had a four-day. Yep. And um, I just thought, oh, it would be a cool event to do. Good little road trip. Bit of a road trip. Yep. My sister had been racing some enduro for a few years before that mm-hmm. um, and she was looking to do the four days. So I thought, oh, I'll do it with her. Yep. So I, um, yeah, got a YZ125 because the first few attempts I'd had at riding enduro on my YZ250F at the time, like kickstart version, was not very successful. Even then? Cr- crashed many times. Yep. It was, it was very not a good enduro rider. Um so, yeah, it was, it was at 125 and we was meant to do some like Queensland two-day enduros in the lead up to it so I would know how to use time cards and do work periods and all that type of stuff. But we had heaps of rain that year. So it ended up being that the first multi-day or time card event I had ever done yep. was the four-day. Great start. Great start. It was fabulous. Yeah. How was it up there? I enjoyed it, obviously, because then it, very, you know, Your path time, changed, time hey? went on from that defining point, yep. point. That's when I started to dabble in both. Mm. And then I have eventually ended up just going that way predominantly. Just it kind of suited as I got older. Um, Did you enjoy it more? Oh, the atmosphere is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Like I enjoyed the, the competition part of it. Like um, the people at Enduro are fantastic. The events um, terrain. Terrain, like, you know, it's hard um, at times, definitely. But I I enjoyed the diversity of it and I think um, a lot of the stuff and, like, techniques and the skills that I had learnt to do enduro in that last, you know, eight years of the racing that I did yep. made me such a better rider and, jeez, I should have learnt how to do that earlier. Like just little things. Did you like obviously? Um, and we've been. I've been to some of your coaching mm-hmm. um, events. Mm-hmm. Were you a good te- technically a good rider early on, or not really? To take like, because if if you have a look at pics of yourself, 
your techniques always you've always had modern era. I could awesome. show you some terrible ones. Really? <laughs> because on. if you look at your photos like um, probably the last 10 years. Yeah, I worked hard at Good technique. that. Yeah. Good body position. Is that something that you it wasn't natural? Oh, no, that didn't come naturally. I was like an elbows down. Yep. Shocking leg angle, foot dabber. No, I worked on that hard. And <laughs> the foot dabber. <laughs> foot dabber. Yep. <laughs> um, real bad. And um, no, I worked on that hard, but I, I kind of, I guess I did enough to get by. Like I didn't um, refine that further and it wasn't until I went into enduro did I have to become really specific about learning how to, you know, do wheelies and front wheel placement and yep. just more refined things that I learnt from that. Um, that type of riding paid off big time. Like when I started to go back onto a motocross track and it was like a mud motocross track, you know, I used to really struggle in the mud on a motocross track, but I don't know if it was more mental, but I would line up at a mud race and I was like, well, this cannot be worse than X bog hole at the RTCB at Bow Desert. Yeah, it gives you a reference This is a motocross track. This is easy. There's nothing on this that's worse than anything else I've had to ride in recently. So gives you that reference. Yeah, ma- massively improved my skill set, hugely. So your motocross improved a lot from doing enduro? Yeah, big time. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird and I, I reckon it would be that way only. I don't reckon the motocross – motocross is a good intro to get to enduro, but I reckon the other way around would work so much better. Well, I got brought speed from motocross into yep. enduro. I just lacked some of the smarts. <laughs> yeah. And um, their – ability in technical aspect and I had to really work at it to learn to learn that and to get better at it. That's what when I spoke to Mel, Mel Dalton, mm-hmm. he said that from motocross to he come in with it thinking, oh, I've just got pace, I'll be fine. Yep. He had to learn how to slow that down and, and Oh you have to you do have to learn to slow that slow down. down. It was a learning pace uh, phase. You know? Yeah, because I just would yeah be fast. It would be like yep. wreckers or checkers be flat out or on the ground. Yeah, it was not. <laughs> I broke some stuff. Why did you go to the, obviously the Kickstarter gives me a bit of a reason, but what, you've been on a two-stroke for a, so, you've sort of stuck to it, hey? Oh, uh, well. For, for lately anyway. So I was on a Wiser 250F and Wiser 125 for the longest time and about the time that I decided I'd want to have a crack at a bit more enduro, I want to yep. do some more four days, uh, then I went and bought a KTM, a 250EXDF, electric yep. start. That's why I bought it because Yamaha at the time did not have an electric start. Now that took a little while. Four stroke. Yep. And the WR was pretty outdated at that time. Yep. So I made the change to KTM specifically for that. Um, and because I had already had two or three years riding a 125 yep. at off-roads, I really struggled to adapt back to the weight and the engine braking part of a four stroke 250 yep. in the bush. I did a year on it and crashed way worse, hurt myself, just struggled far worse than what I had on the 125. Wow. So the fabulous 200EXC was a bike at the time and I had a bit of a ride on one of those and I was like, this could be a bit of me. So I ordered one of those and um, to this day that bike is amazing. If they still made that, I would own one today. Awesome bike. Fabulous. I had the best year of off-road racing I had entirely on the next year on that 200 EXE. Like it was it was fabulous. Yeah. 
It was I don't know fan- why they dropped those. I don't know. And then like, so they replaced it with a 150 XCW. Yep. I had a 150SX at the time that I was just, that was the only motocross bike I had. It was just for fun motocross events. And they were right though too, weren't they? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, 150SX. I won, um, I won the women's class at the Sunny State on it. Wow. And got fourth in the 125 class. Seriously? And the races were Overall? back to back. Oh, he would have been knackered. I was knackered. We had the um, <laughs> the women's race first yep. and then I would line directly straight up into the 125 race straight after that. And the only reason I did the Sunny State that year was um, I think Harvey Bay was the first round and um, just wanted some seat time when yep. I raced Harvey Bay, won Harvey Bay round and I was like, oh. This is all right. This, this is all right. Ended yeah. up doing the whole series. Yeah. One, you did? One on the Y50. So I had the 150 anyway. Yep. Um, so yeah, KTM replaced it with a 150 XCW and I thought, okay, well, that'll be cool. That'll be just like my 150 SX, but, uh, um, you know, wide ratio gearbox electric start version, it should be good, but it was not a 200 EXE. Nah. Nah, I still missed it. The 200 was just a really good size. It was just the best bike. Yep. So like playful, heaps of torque, like, yeah, just a great bike. I do wish that they still made that. I rode a 300 the other week. For the first time in a long while, mm. uh, at Conondale. Yep. Like good place to have one. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, and I got a current uh, Husky 450. Those 300s are good. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was really fun, and it's just, I don't know, it felt light, but it still heaps of torque, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I must say. I rode. Um, I've ridden a 300 XE, a TPI. And I was yep, just real tight was. stuff yep. though, and I didn't really get the benefit of it, but I did. Um, Rode the Coffs Harbour Transmodo, the first Coffs Harbour Transmodo oh, yeah. that they did. And yeah. I just was, because um, I didn't have an enduro bike at the time. Yep. I just borrowed um, a friend's 300 Husky. Oh, yeah. Yep. Two stroke for that. We just shared it. Yeah. And I'm like, that brings back reminiscings of the 200, but just with a bit more. A bit more grow. Just a bit more go to it. They feel good though, hey? Yeah, I liked it. I was a fan yeah. of it. Yeah, that yeah. was what this, like this was the um, TPI. And I'm like, this is actually really nice. Like it's, yeah, mm-hmm. everything, and it was set up really nicely as well. I was like, oh, this is, uh, yeah, I've only had my Husky for six months. I'm like, well, that was actually really nice. But Are you thinking about trading it in already? No, 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 but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's an endless, yeah. it's an endless thing. But um, yeah, the my my bike's really good because uh, it's lazy, like in the way of, um, yep. you can just cruise around and I do a lot of photos out on the trails and stuff like that. Yep. It's easy to go, you know, clock it in six gear, get out on a fire trail and just cruise along, which yeah, is they do better that. for that, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, but then I did ride the 790 as well and that was pretty cool. So, yeah, but that's a bit bigger. Cool. So, what, um, what about four days? How mm. good, how good have your four days been? Um, mixed results. Yeah. Some were better than others. Um, so the, the first... But enjoyable though. Oh, incredibly enjoyable. Yep. During the event, do I wish that I'm not there? For yes. Sure. At the end, I'm like, that was great. When's the next one? But there's points during the event like, why am I doing this? This is so hard. Why does that happen, you reckon? Because you know what to expect because you've done it already. Yeah, I know. I think you, your brain forgets the um, some of the torture of it. Yeah. And remembers the achievement and the triumph at the end. It's weird though, isn't it? It is weird because I signed up. I did um, Mackay 
uh, and then I went and did the Warrigal one in Victoria. Yep. Which was which was great. I got third at that one actually, overall. So it was a big improvement on my was the one two five. And then I did um, one at Cessnock. Cessnock. Yeah, I DNF that one though. I had a big stack and knocked yeah. myself out, so I didn't finish that one, which wasn't very good. And the one I did on the two hundred XC was the Mount Buller one. That one was that also been cool. epic. That yeah. was great. Yeah. Is that done at that property where they do the some of the rider training in that? I have do you no know? idea. Don't know. Mm-mm. What one's been the favourite? Gum Valley? The final rider at Gum Valley was the best. Like, that was cool because yep. that was at Gum Valley. Yep. That was fantastic. Um, and... Like part, like there's, I've got, you know, distinct memories from different ones. Like there's a couple of tests from Warrigal that I remember that were like awesome. So what do they mean by a test? What's a Special test. test. Um, What's that? So the way that the format works at a four days, you're running off of a time card. So you've basically got, um, you know, liaison stages where you need to get point A to point B within a certain period of time. Yep. But throughout that stage, there'll be, you know, a special test. So, you know, where you've got a, timed loop within yep. that to get done and that's the part that's making up your overall score for the overwrite, yep. overall for the event. So obviously lowest time wins. So you, you want to avoid picking up any trail penalties on the, you know, the trail time stage yep. and you want to go best as you possibly can in the special test stage. So, um, yeah, some of the special tests at different four days have been like really cool, really special and you don't get to ride them every day. You ride them on different days and, yep. you know, you're doing about – 200 to 250 k's a day. Solid days. Yeah, solid days. Yeah. Long days. Yeah, that's a long day. It is. And then you got to, you know, do your own work on your bike in a very small window of time. So that's part of it as well, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yep. Yep. Small work period in the morning, 15 minute work period in the afternoon. What sort of things would you do? Filter Uh, change. Air filter change, yep. like an oil change, tire change. Really? Both tires. You're on yep. moose tubes. So oh, yuck. like practicing in the shed on how to change tires in a time period, get the wheel out of your bike yourself because you can't have outside assistance. You it's all have, you, hey? Yeah, it's all you. So yep. like if you mangled something during the day, you need to be able to fix that or have a plan to fix it next yep. morning. No one can help you. You need, so to, handlebars you need to sort bad. that out. Could be a handlebar change, anything, eh? Yep. It could be, could be anything. That's crazy. Yep. Have you had, have you had any bad ones where you've had to go through lots of overnight work or anything? No, I was pretty lucky, but I yep. was like mindful and cautious of that. You, you don't want to put yourself into a position where you're no. riding and wrecking your stuff, um, you know, so that you've got to do all this work in the afternoon. For sure. Because you've got, you know, X amount of time and you know, okay, I'm doing an air filter and oil change and I really need to do two tyres tonight. Like, yep. so Needs to be I, done. Needs to be done. I don't want to be changing um, headlights and handlebars no. and all this other stuff. Throttle tubes, clutch perches, yeah, none of that I stuff. Yeah, I don't want to have to like put a new gear lever on and all this other crap. Makes sense. Yeah. Tell me about what's been one of the best events. What's some of your favourite events and venues? What, what have you really enjoyed? I guess probably the transition into the fun events. Of late, you know, like, like transmodos, like transmodos, and yep. those types of things. Yeah, it's funny how that that comes up a lot. Right days, isn't it? It is funny. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, and, and we said about it before, your dust hustles, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Like, yeah, it, it's pro- proper fun, hey? It is proper fun. It's like pressure relieved. Yep. For, for whatever reason, people are more keen to give it a go. So, yeah, particularly like a transmodo, you know, you can do those types of Pony Express events all throughout the year, but it doesn't attract the same vibe, feeling, yep. entrance numbers it's cheaper but yeah. people still choose to do you know the fun option i think it has a lot to do with how it's marketed i think and that's then pa- once right. people do it they're yep. like yeah that was great I'll we're do in it again yeah yep. once once you get them through the through the gate once they have a positive easy. experience yeah of course they'll come back they'll plan again for next year how's the cost one the coughs one that was that's the best one i've done i've done the conondar one coughs harbour and coonawarra <laughs> where's coonawarra um new south wales Ah, okay. Like rural New South Wales. Dusty? That <laughs> was so bad. You remember that Coonabarra one? You know, Goanna Tracks. Coonabarra brand? Sorry, Coonabarra brand. Yeah. Yeah, there. Is that where it was? That's where it was. And it was just literally riding in a cloud of dust the entire lap. Wow. Can't see. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that Conondale one that you did? I've done a couple. Which one? 19, I think you said. 2019? I think the you one mentioned that before. I didn't finish. Well, the I don't one know. That I did. Don't know, but you remember going over the hill in the afternoon, the dust. There's probably the downhill that you've probably said about as well. You just couldn't see anything. It got completely rutted out. And that might have been the one that I um, had to retire from early after it had a bit of a altercation with a downhill and a stack. It was gnarly. I, I come down and I had Gemma Wilson overtook me, and she I think she went over the bars or went over sideways, and I'm like, I'm one tenth of the rider of her, I'm like gripping onto this thing with massive arm pump thinking, how am I going to get I'm down? Gonna die. I did three. Yeah, the right. first year I did it was in a mixed class. Yeah. Um, the second year I did it was with KTM in an all-girls class. Yep. With um, Rosie and that. Yep. That with, class, yep. With Rosie. And the third year I did it again with KTM, but I wadded myself up and didn't get to finish. The other two girls Not had good. to bring it home. No. Not good. <laughs> no. End of my day rapidly. Have you got any plans to do another one yet? Yeah, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, I'd probably be keen. Now, industry, you're, you're a veteran in the industry in yeah. your young age currently. How's yeah. it changed over the years? Yes, it has changed over the years, yeah. That's particularly in southeast Queensland. Like we've gone from having a lot of like smaller family-owned dealers and businesses to yep. some bigger, bigger groups moving through and owning a lot of chains of stores, yeah. So that's changed quite a bit. And what about product-wise and stuff like that? How's protect, like you're a writer as well as working mm. in the business, how's protection changed? Yeah, that's changed. Like we've had a lot of advancements with yeah. technology, particularly with helmets and that's been big, understanding, you know, head injury and concussion and, you know, different types of armour with, you know, different CE ratings now and knee braces and there's been a lot of different changes but, you know, bikes have come so far too. For sure. Mm. Within your your position now, is that something that you get educated in, like CE stuff? Like yeah, um, yeah, it's a big part of it. That's now, a big hey? part of it. Mm-hmm. When you first got in there, was it like that, or was it just? It just seems like um, the helmets are so safe now. Knee yeah, braces of there's technology that's in a knee brace now. The the technology aspect to it's a lot crazy. of things is is much more in depth than what I ever remember it being really? twenty years ago. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, a helmet used to be, you know, shell and an EPS. It's not now. It's a lot of other things. It's 
you know, it's MIPS, it's rotational energy management, it's it's a lot of different things. Which is like we have airbags for Christ's sake now. Yeah, we don't have that. We don't have that. You you've got a bit not a bit to do with airbags, but that's that's under your job banner. Uh, yeah, well, Alpine Stars is part of makes an airbag. Yeah, that we which is a proprietary airbag. Yep, correct. So I have a lot to do with that with what I do for work. How's that? How's that work? How does it work? Yeah. Um, so the Alpine Stars system is like a self-contained vest. It has an ECU in the back protector, and the oh, vest. Oh, does it? Yeah. The, yeah. the vest itself um, contains sensors, so you know gyroscopic accelerometers, and they're paying attention to what you know the body is doing. Like yep. Alpine Stars have been developing the algorithm in that ECU and airbags for for more than 15 years. You know, it's been commercially available since 2017, but they've been working on it for a hell of a lot longer. Yeah. So they've basically developed an algorithm where it's paying attention to your normal riding movements. Um, the moment, you know, one or more of those sensors detects that something abnormal, which is yeah. from historical data likely to lead to an accident, that's what deploys um, the pyrotechnic charge and uh, inflates the airbags just like a car airbag. So it's designed to be inflated before you make contact with, um, you know, the ground or a car or... So at the moment it's only an application for for road use or light adventure. Um, But that program will expand. Yeah, They're using it in the Dakar. Yes. We'll see versions of it at some point that have an off-road capability for sure. It's... It's awesome, hey, because I, I believe, and I might be wrong, but the Alpine Star ones bought over, they, as a proprietary product, will on put it into another brand's leathers and some stuff. Yeah, so that's yeah, right, can. hey, because yep, it's the state of the art one. Yeah, well, so they've had a, a couple of different generations now. Yep. We're on to the latest airbag system called Tech Air 5, and it's, it's standalone independent from the garment that it goes in. Okay. Yep. So it does allow the end user to put that in any brand of suit or jacket, providing there's enough room to fit the vest and the expansion of the vest, to run that in anything else. Yep. You say historical data. Mm. I'm a nerd, so I've got to ask Mm. this question. Say you go out on the track the first time you wear it, Mm -hmm. there's no data. Will it expand? No, it's already in the ECU. It knows. It knows straight away. So the algorithm is already into the ECU. So like, so that's already pre-programmed. It's pre-programmed. It's unreal. So each vest, yep. serial number vest is assigned. You know, if you bought one, Mick, it's yep. serial number XYZ is assigned to you yep. via you know the Tech Air app or the, the portal. Um, if you have a deployment, that vest records all the data from that deployment. Alpine Stars can log in and have a look and see what forces were experienced for that vest to deploy. Wow. All of that data is stored along with all of, you know, Mark Marquez's stacks and misses and everyone else that does it and to help them to continue to refine the algorithm for the use, whether it's on the racetrack or being used on the road. Damn. So that's why there's software updates for it. Like it's um, it's crazy smart. It is. Mm. Uh, Troy Herfoss. Yep. He wears Alpine Stars. He does. He had he had a large incident earlier in the year and I was talking to him about it and mm-hmm. I was talking to him about his suit and it, the suit goes back as well, like he's a particular one yep. so they can learn yep. more from that. Unreal, eh? Like, like just Alpine it's Stars, constantly an evolving. Well, Alpine Stars protects. That's their, that's their thing. That's their slogan. That's yep. their saying and, and that is their goal. Like they want to 
protect their races. I want to learn everything that they can and produce technology that keeps keeps them on the track, keeps yep. them racing, and that filters down into the products that we can buy commercially and the average street rider can use or, you know, us off-road guys can use as well. Perfect. Try and keep people riding longer. It's not an ad either. It's just I was genuinely interested to It's an to interesting fight. bit of kit. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, when I spoke to Troy, I was talking to him about his leathers and he goes, yeah, they it goes back to back to house. They go through it. They dissect it, find yep. out the good, the bad. What can we make better? Yep. Pretty cool. How can we learn from this? Where does it go? Where does what go? Uh, engineering in, in that field. Where does it go? What's what's the, you know? Well, I think, like I said how, before, I think. Off-road obviously is off the way. Off-road, more coverage. Um, yep. uh easier for the end consumer to manage and repack themselves because like at the, at the moment it has to come after it's had a deployment it needs to come back to a yep. service center for you know a, a new bladder and a new gas gas canister charge yep. yep so to make it more cost effective and easier for people to do you know at the track like how good would that be? Be unreal. It'd be fantastic. It'd be so sad. My like, shoulder may not be so crappy if I had, a, well, that's had an airbag. That's it. Like if you can put in a like I haven't actually seen one um, outside of a suit, but if you can put one in in your gear long term, like riding gear mm. off road, be so safe, you know, and then yeah. be able to repack it at the yep. end of the day or whatever. Yep. If it's um, if it's had a deployment, it's yeah. done its job. You just. Put some new canisters in it. Away you go. Off you go. And is that what they are? They like the canister. They're like argon the... gas canisters. Argon. Yep. Wow. Argon gas canisters. Well, thank you for giving me a bit of uh, technical information. Oh, that's okay. Next time we do a demo day, I will have to tell you you can come along. I know you I'll, do. Yeah, I've I'll, seen you do them and stuff, um, so I have to have to check that do out. Do a test on you, and you can check it out and see what it is. No, they won't fit. We have all sizes. Okay. Well, I have to have a look. Um, what was I going to say? I, I'm completely lost after after that little part there. Tangent. But, um, yeah, a little tangent. <laughs> now, your life uh, of racing and everything, you've been interviewed by Scotty McKellar hundreds of times. What's been a good Scotty moment? A bazillion times. At least. I have known Scotty McKellar since I was oh, seven, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was part of the Wheel Standers crew. We grew up racing with his kids, like Peter and Matthew. Yep. Um, a gentleman that, for people that don't listen, has dedicated his life to motorcycle racing in Australia. Oh, like worked in the industry the entire time yep. and, you know, an announcer. And Give the shirt off his back to yep. do it. Just, just loves it. Yep. Like I still, I still fortunately get to deal with Scotty on a, on a day-to-day basis now. Works yep. in one of the stores that I visit and... Um, yeah, he's always quite keen to give me a rather up whenever he's doing the <laughs> <laughs> announcing. I happen to make an appearance at the track. He's good value, hey? He's good. I couldn't, I honestly couldn't, oh, I, he's, oh, funny story. I was flicking through like an old photo album at Mum's Place a few weeks back and I yep. came across a picture um, of a Wheel Standers Club trophy presentation. Wow. We used to have them at Wet n Wild. Happened to be the very first year that I had obviously finished any racing. So it's 1991. So I got a club trophy. This is my first trophy. The person awesome. that gives it to me is Scotty McKellar. There's a picture of him giving me the trophy. That's a little tacker. I got my first trophy. It's 30 years ago. From Scotty. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yep. What was the trophy for? Finishing the year? 60cc C grade third place. Oh, that's pretty cool actually. For motocross. And you've still got it? I do. Have you it. need to take that home. I do have it. The um, when I found that photo, I took a picture of it. and I sent it through Scotty. Did you? He was like chuffed. He would have been. Yeah, he was. He um, 
he's got such a memory for this stuff. Yeah, he does. Like he's really into it. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. You started mountain biking again or as such? Yep. E-biking? (laughs) E-biking. How's that going? I love it. What yeah. got you? What you? What got you away from obviously riding bikes a little bit, motorcycles into mm. that? What got you into that? Um, I don't really know how I kind of really got into it. I um, just kind of suggested maybe we should hire one of these. These could be a bit of a bit of fun. Yep. Like e e mountain bikes are a thing now. Should hire one. Um, I had friends riding normal mountain bikes, but, you know, I could never ride with, with any of them because they're way, way, way stronger on a normal mountain bike than I ever would be. Yeah. Um, ended up hiring one. I thought, hey, this is a bit of fun and um, led, to, led to buying one. Yeah. Um, I just bought a basic one to start off with. I wasn't sure if I'd, you know, something I'd really take to. Fast forward, I'm now onto the second one. It's far more expensive, done heaps of Ks and it's, it's honestly replaced having an enduro motorcycle. Do you have a motorcycle at all now? Yeah, yeah. I got a Wiser 250F. Okay. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like it nearly, you nearly wouldn't need one when you got an e-bike. Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. No, like I ride my, my mountain bike a lot, like, you know, nearly every weekend, but it has a lot to do with um, the accessibility of it. Yeah. And I get a lot of the same um, feeling from riding that what I would do riding my trail bike. Yep. So let's say I owned a, a WR250F or a regoed bike. Like the only place I could ride that remotely close to here, you know, in the same format where it's free, I could start any time of the day, would be like the Glasshouse Mountains. Yeah. That's it. Now I have a, an e-bike and I can ride it. Well, Newby, I can ride Daisy Hill, The Gap, Sanford, yep. like heaps of places. For sure. And you get... I explained it to someone the other day. There's like seven places within 30 minutes of my house yep. that have got different terrain in every one. And it's free. And it's nothing. And I'm the only one there. Yep. Like minimal. Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome. It is. And, you know, having having an e-bike, obviously the speed picks it up. Yep. Um, the overall ride time. Yep. You can do a lot of Ks in a relatively short period of time. For sure. Yeah. You get all of the same adrenaline rush out of it from the descent and the speed of it. All the the technical aspects of it carries over from everything that I learned at Enduro. And yep. People are like, aren't e-bikes heavy? I'm like, no, ride a hundred kilo dirt bike yep. in single track. This is this is nothing. This yep. thing weighs nothing. Um There's nothing bad about them. No. Like really, no, there's nothing bad. No, they're Ton of fun, you've got one now. You're fully hooked. I'm, I'm in. I'm, you are proper I'm addicted, hooked. and um, yeah. Well, I've, I've done two in six weeks, so I'm, uh, I'm well in now. What do you mean two in six weeks? Two rides, or you bought two? I bought two. You bought you bought two. Well, I bought one to dip my feet in the water, like you did. Yeah, but I didn't do it within a fortnight. I no, waited well, a year. I got it. I didn't like it. Oh, okay. I like the motor. The motor was great, but I uh, coming from um, what do we call them? Analog. Pedal bike. Acoustic. Acoustic. There's so I many names. Acoustics. So an acoustic bike compared to an electric bike. I had like it was a really good package. Yep. Cashmere coat, forks, everything like that on my acoustic bike. Yeah. Um, and then I went to uh, entry level bike like what you did. Yeah. And it just wasn't up to the spec of You're like, this the old is one. Not so nice. This is cool, but it's not right. It's so not right. sold it and I've kept my eye open and I got a uh, couple couple levels up of the same bike. What did you get now? Uh, e1 Giant Pro. Yeah, nice. And um, 
Fox Fork, yeah. Fox Shock. Makes um, a difference. Yeah, just especially after riding motorbikes. Like you, you appreciate. You got feel a little bit of feel and you, you sort of know what you sort of are after. Um, and What yeah. feels natural, what feels good. What, what feels good and what feels what really bad. What reacts well, yeah. what you know feels like terrible. You get to rocks on, on the first one. I got to rocks and it just felt like my arms were going to blow apart. It was yep. just pounding, like it was just um, blowing through the valving. Yep. Well, there's no valving actually, just blew through whatever <laughs> was there. And I'm like, this isn't good. And, and I went online to get my information. Yeah. And um, you should never go online to get information. So I had a look and I'm like, okay, we'll leave that one there. We'll, we'll resell it to someone that doesn't yep. want it's that. It's COVID times. People lighter. buy things. People buy things just because they don't want them. <laughs> Correct. And, um, and I did. And, uh, yeah, now I've got this one and this is good. Way better. Yeah, it's awesome. We yeah. did 20, 20 something Ks this morning and it's, uh, I'll go do 20 Ks again this RV, I reckon. You usually live right near Cornubia, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, good spot for it. Perfect spot for an e-bike. You've done an event, a couple of events on it, race events? Yeah, I did um, last year some like gravity. I actually won like the e-bike gravity enduro championship. Well, you should. It's random. Um, Your Strava times. (sighs) Yes, whatever, Strava hunter. Um, (laughs) No, and some longer events like the 53K like point to point at Paluma up in Townsville. I did that. The half epic at Hiddenvale, which is 55Ks. Um, So some longer cross-country stuff as well as some – um, descent orientated, uh, some of that Rocky Trail stuff too. Yeah. Did yep. some of those too. Yeah. So I did a few mountain bike races last year. Was that good fun? Yeah. 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 It is good fun. I get, I get like, just have to remind myself not to get too competitive with it because that's by nature happens to me. It's a hard thing. Yes. A hard thing not to. It's a hard thing for me to manage. 55Ks on the, like I've done 30, 30 something is mm. about it for now. Yep. A couple of hours. What's 55Ks like on one? Depends on the track. Yeah. Like the 55Ks at Hidden Vale was taxing and hard and got yeah. to the end and you need to be uh, managing your battery level. Uh, like eco. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, riding in appropriate level so you make the distance. Yeah. But like the one that I did at Paluma, the track was a lot easier and I'd gone too cautiously on the battery modes I was picking, got to the end and had like, you know, 30% battery left and I was like, oh, I really could have sent that way harder. I left some in the tank. I left heaps <laughs> in the tank and yeah. got second as a result and then dirty. The <laughs> I didn't do it properly. And yeah. But um, yeah, that event is actually back on again today. That oh, is Paluma it? That event. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. You, you've you know, ridden in the snow too, snowy mountain with Herbo. Yes, yeah. Isn't that good? That was epic. Um, I've got a friend that lives in Canberra, so Perfect. I had, try and head down and visit him a few times a year. Yep. Um, went down and did some, actually infected him with the mount, e-mountain bike bug. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, he had an e-bike and we went down there and rode at Stromlo on one day yep. and the chair left at Threadbow on the next day and that was great. Threadbow is fantastic. I just did like a, a higher bike while I was down there yep. and um, it was a bit of a less less spec than mine so it kind of let me down i'd be keen to go back again but take my own take your own take yep. my own pushy next time yeah it's one of those things so when, once you get used to something it's hard to go back it is something you, know? you hire something else and it's like this is terrible yeah it's <laughs> enjoyable but it's just not yeah i don't trust this bike I yeah feel like i'm yeah. gonna break it no that's well there goes the lights again yeah um yeah throw bow that's a that's, yeah, it's cool. That's a cool place. There's um, Threadbow Valley Trail as well, so it start, like oh, it? goes between Jindbine and Threadbow. Yep, it's um, a good 
good paddle too. Either, oh, awesome. either direction or down and back. Yeah, cool. Follows the river the whole oh, way. The whole down. way there. Yep. yep. Yeah. yeah. I've That's only a good ridden, ride. I've only ridden there once. I think once or twice, but I uh, I left uni a couple of years ago um, mm-hmm. over a Thursday afternoon, and I was like, I'm, I've got my mountain bike in my van. I'm not sure exactly where I'm going, but I'm going to drive and find somewhere. I end up in Threadbow. That's random. It was. And I uh, rode through a bow for a few days and that was cool. That was a really exciting place yeah, to be. Yeah, that was the first time I've done like riding off of a chairlift, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a cool feeling. Yeah, so it was Even awesome. just loading them up, you're like, all right, it's all foreign. Cause yeah, you, we it's just weird. We go to Daisy Hill, you know, we hop and uh, chuck it out of the van and off and you go. off you go, you ride yeah. around that's pretty flat. What's some goals for you? What else you got on? What else have I got on? Um, I think my goals at the moment are to, to increase my – to increase my fitness and be strong and healthy and try a lot of different things that I've maybe not had the chances to try um, or often I shouldn't say not had the chance, not given myself the chance to try, you know, in the last three decades racing and riding dirt bikes. So taking up a bit of running and just different sports like, you know, snowboarding and still ride my bike obviously but just figuring out all some other things that I've never had time to to do. Because it's been hard. It's hard to divide your time, hey. Like when you're doing mm-hmm. racing and stuff, you just don't. Yeah. That that is your, your spare time out of your Monday to Friday work, and then you that's just your time. work, and yep. then you've got this race coming up this weekend. Yep. It's four hours drive away. I need yeah. to have everything prepped for that. Get back Sunday night, rinse and repeat for the next week. Plus the work that you're in, yep. it's still work. It's still work. Like you're away. It's still work. You know, if you even if you're racing for. Your whole life you've worked in the industry, so there's still a portion of work involved in it of a weekend too, isn't there? One hundred percent there is. Yeah. yeah. And Which, it's um it's pretty singular focused. Yep. Yes. Hundred percent. So uh, yeah, it it's it's probably been important for me to um, diversify a bit. Yep, since more moto? Still do some things? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Whatever is on. on I the still table. enjoy to ride. Yeah. Like hundred percent do. And you know, if the ride event pops up, you know, yep. for fun, I would do it. Um still still love it. Awesome. Still do it. Still good at it. Still like it. It's just adding other things to the repertoire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I truly appreciate it. And we uh yeah, we finally got it done. Jeez, we we've did. Spoken it took about a bit. <laughs> we've spoken about this for a I'm while. I'm too busy out doing other things. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all good. And, you know, it is your weekend. So thanks for taking the time to come in on a, no, on a Sunday. No, thanks for having me on the weekend. Appreciate it. It's much appreciated. That's all we have time for on today's show. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe on the Talk and Chatter page. Also, head over to iTunes and give us a star rating and a review there. It all helps to get the podcast out there. A big thank you goes to everyone that's been doing this already, and uh, we'll be back with another show soon.